I'm um, very excited this morning. We had the best men's breakfast. In fact, personally, if we could make a template, and, and uh, in other words, a template being something that we just print out and do every single time. I mean, yesterday's men's breakfast just went flawless. Great participation from the men, great teaching, a great breakfast, great rain. I mean, it was amazing. You should have seen in the front door, Derek Mendieta had this big jacket on, and when it's pouring down rain, like about 8.45 yesterday, maybe in Vacaville, you remember that like a half an inch of rain that just came down within about 20 minutes. Derek was making his way in the door. It had no gutter over the door. And it, like, if you can imagine a waterfall just coming, Derek was just like emerging through the waterfall as he walked in the door with plates of food covered. covered. It was, a, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. And then um, last night, my, my wife came home and she was just so excited. Um, she was very thankful to the Lord for the, for the women's night. She was very encouraged. And if, uh, if you're a lady here at, at our church, um, hope you were encouraged. I know Dominique gave her testimony. And Dominique and Tanae would meet, and I, I'm a witness that Dominique worked really hard at communicating what Jesus has done in her heart. And I know that she slowed down, and she was totally communicative about scripturally how God, through his spirit and through the work of Christ, has changed her. And so what a beautiful uh, night for the ladies last night. So. If you missed that, be prepared and be thinking about men, uh, uh, ladies' nights for the ladies and the men's breakfasts for the men. Well, we're in our second week of this uh, Sunday school class. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then um, let's just jump right, right into this. So, Lord, we're grateful for the rain. We don't want to be complainers. Lord, we're, we're grateful for this body of Christ. And we're grateful for your work. We're grateful for these members that you've assembled together in your spirit and in the hope of our calling. You've, you've put us here together to reflect on Christ and to reflect on how great you are. And so please help us this morning as we look at your word. Help us to understand that we are and we should be the most successful people in life. This life can be worked out in the believer's life. And so please help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we introduced this subject. And I'm, I'm kind of a structure guy when it comes to Sunday school. I, I'm, last week we're looking at Ephesians chapter 1. You can turn there. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Last week I was trying to set this up. And in my own personal study, when I'm looking at 15 to 23, I'm like working at the details. I'm trying to see the bigger picture. And I'm, I'm trying to work it like... Where does this fit in? And so last week was a lot of that. We talked about how Paul, he's going in verse 3 of chapter 1. He's praising God because God has placed the believer in Christ. And if you notice verse 3, the praise, and then in verse 15, he turns it to prayer. And he's praying. He wants the Christian to know the deep knowledge that we should have because we're in Christ. And so that's what we were talking about last week. And so... Um, he wants the believer to fully comprehend that they are in Christ and they possess every resource available. And we looked at 
chapter 4, verse 1, we possess every resource available to be successful Christians. There is no excuse for us to not be successful. Although we might say, my sin hinders me. We might say, the world and all the allurements of the world distract me from my success in Christ. We might say that Satan and his demons distract me and cause me to stumble and to not show great success in Christ. And I mean, we see through the book of Ephesians, he addresses these issues. Chapter 6, it's going to talk about the spiritual warfare. So he wants the Christian to know and he wants them to gain and to grow in deeper, deeper knowledge that we have resources and that we should have excess in Christ. Interesting, his name was Laws. He was from Suffolk, England. He retired, he was a property owner, and when he retired, they gave him a metal detector. I love metal detectors. I actually got one of those for Christmas some years ago. I love metal detectors. I'm not gonna retire and go out and start doing my metal detector thing, but, but Laws, who lived in Suffolk, England, he did. He was asked by one of his tenants, uh, Whitling, Whitling had lost his hammer in one of the fields of, that Laws owned. And so Whitling asked Laws, please come and help me bring your metal detector and help, and help me find this hammer that was lost. Well, why were they, while they were looking for this hammer with the metal detector, Laws come across, he comes across a box. And as he opens up the box, 16,000 Roman, rare Roman coins were in this box. It ends up that the British government paid 1.75 million to Laws for a treasure that was already on his property, that he already possessed. Amazing, and that day his life was changed forever because of the resources that he had already had and that he discovered. And so this morning, that's what we wanna to continue to try to understand and to try to be deepened in this understanding. And so let's look at the believer's resources found in Christ. One of the greatest resources that we have is the Spirit of God. Look at verse 17, chapter one, verse 17. Paul is praying that the Christian would deeply understand that, that God has given you the Spirit. And if you notice, verse 17, that God may give you the Spirit. And so how does the Christian benefit from the resource of the Holy Spirit? Did you know that we are in the Holy Spirit? As much as we hear we're in Christ, we're in Christ, we're in Christ, Romans chapter eight, verse nine, we are in the Spirit. Just as much as we're in Christ, we're in the Spirit. And so this morning we wanna look at the fact that the Spirit of God is our teacher, he's the illuminator, he makes things clear, and he also is the comforter. So let me just address these three issues as we understand the resource of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's good to have a teacher. Jesus said, I have to leave. I'm going to leave. And John, if you read John chapter 14, John chapter 15 and 16, you're going to learn about the Spirit of God. Jesus says, I have to leave. I'm going to leave, but I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. In fact, I'm going to leave you the Spirit. And so we have the Spirit of God. In fact, Ephesians 1 verses 13 and 14, we're told the Spirit is a guarantee. So we have the Spirit of God. He's the teacher. Look what it says here. He's the teacher, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation, and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He is our teacher. You know, we homeschooled our children, and I remember 
Um, I remember Tanae grew up in a family of um, her parents owned their own business and she was very business oriented. And I remember as we had children and committed our, our family, we committed ourselves to raise our family and I was gonna provide outside the home, she was gonna provide the resources or the structure inside the home in the sense of she was gonna be there pounding it out and raise the kids. And, and of course, I'm, I'm, I'm all part of this, but I'm just providing outside, she's providing inside in, in, in that kind of a structure. And I remember when we decided to homeschool, to have control of giving our kids the gospel every day of their lives and to inform their minds and to train them on scripture. I remember Tanae was terrified. I, 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 can, I can picture her with this business kind of structure way about her thinking, I can't do this. I totally remember. And it's amazing because over 17 or 18 years of homeschooling, I remember from the very beginning, uh, this fearful uh, young lady, and then as, as she started to gain confidence from the Lord that I can actually impart truths to my children, I saw her become a teacher. How much more we need to understand that the Spirit of God resides in us and he is our teacher he's our tutor he's our teacher let me explain this when you look at first corinthians chapter 2 verses 10 and 11 first corinthians chapter 2 10 and 11 do you know why the spirit of god is do you know why he's the teacher it's because he knows the mind of god that's what first corinthians 2 says 10 and 11 he knows the mind of god that's why he is our teacher it says this, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. When you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, you're going to notice people are dead outside of Christ. They, they do not, they show no interest, they have no interest in the mind of God. It's the Spirit of God who knows the mind of God, and the Spirit of God comes to us and teaches us in a wise and in a revealing, look what the verse says. That the spirit, of, the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation, he comes in all wisdom because he knows the mind of God and he reveals then to us the very word of God. He reveals it and he makes known to us Christ. That's what he does. He is the teacher. For he knows, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. That's second, that's first Corinthians chapter two, verse 11. No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And so he is our teacher. Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us. By God. That's verse 12 of Second of First Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Okay, he's the teacher. And like I mentioned, he wisely reveals the biblical truths. Look at verse 17 there. He wisely reveals the biblical truths concerning Jesus Christ. And so, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Paul's praying, Christian, that we would have a deeper understanding of the Spirit, who's the teacher. And also, you notice in verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know. What the Spirit of God does is he turns the light on. Last week, it was really encouraging. Espy came over to me 
right after our lesson, and she said, when we, were, when we were talking about the introduction last week, she was saying, you know, it reminded me of how the Spirit of God just takes a candle and lights it. I remember when I was um, <clears throat> in Bible college back in the 80s, um, for some reason I got into this habit. I would start to read, and, and all around me, you know, it would be light time when I started, and then in our house, um, it would, the lights would go, everything would dim. The sun would go down, and I'd still be sitting there reading, and I would just be totally reading in the darkness. And over and over and over again, my mother-in-law would come in and she would flick the light on for me. And I would be like, and, and she would tell me, don't read in the darkness. And when that light came on, I was like, what a pleasure. You know, I was like, how comforting is this? How, wow, this is just amazing. <laughs> and in fact, it was just right there to me. Whoop, turn the light on. The Spirit of God lives in the believer's life and he turns the light on. That's what he does. That's, that's when, it, when it talks about having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. You can't do this on your own, Christian. You need to fill yourself up with scripture and you need to trust the spirit of God that he will turn the lights on. He will. He'll make scripture known. Let me give you a few thoughts here. He'll make the nature and the works of Jesus Christ understandable. That's what the illuminator will do. He gives comprehension about the believer's resources in Christ. Look at verses 18 and 19. And this is important for us to know. We're going to talk about this further, but I just want to mention this, the illuminator, what he does. He's going to help you to understand what is the hope to which you've been called. This, the illuminator is going to help you to understand what are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints. He's going to help you to understand that. The illuminator is going to help you to understand verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power? And catch the, what it says. Towards you. It's not, a it's not a power that you possess, but it's a power that is operated towards you. That's amazing. When you see power, in fact, we're getting just a slight display of the rain and the thunder and the lightning. And when we see that external power just kind of working itself, it's just amazing. In a similar way, if you can get a concept that the Spirit of God, He illuminates, He helps you to understand this power that works towards you as a believer. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But lastly, just want you to see this resource of the Spirit of God. He is our comforter. He's our teacher. Let me take a step back. He's our teacher. He's the illuminator. And He's the comforter. He is the comforter. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. He gives the Christian great hope. And maybe you're here this morning and you're lacking hope. And we're going to talk about hope in just a minute here. But I want you to understand the Spirit of God as your resource and the great hope that he, that he has given you. He gives you great hope for today. And I want you to just look in your Bibles at chapter, uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians and look with me at verse 3 to 14. He gives you a present encouragement. And he wants you to be encouraged, Christian, that you are in Christ. Along the way in my study, I was trying to look at this concept of in Christ. And over the years, I've been fascinated with this subject, in Christ. It should bring you present encouragement today. You are in Christ. Yes, I know you're in California, and I know 
You're in Vacaville, and I know you're in the church building here. But way, way, way more important is that you're in Christ. Physically, it's one thing. Spiritually, that is what matters. Where are you this morning? And if you're a believer, I'm telling you the present day encouragement that we have and the resource that we have is being in Christ. Look at how Paul praises in verse 3. He's just praising, blessed be the God. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I can't say it the way Paul would say it when he's writing this letter, but when he's writing it, he is very serious about his thoughts there. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice exactly what he says. Who has blessed us, you notice it, in Christ. As we continue, he has blessed us in the heavenly places as he has chosen us, verse 4, in him. Look at, at the end of verse 4. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through, through Christ according to the purposes of his will. But look at where he continues to say, he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption. And so if you continue here, verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Look at verse 13. In him and then if you continue at the end of verse 13, in him we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have a blessed hope in Christ, and that should give us present-day encouragement. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. He will make this truth clear to you. He will illuminate it to your mind. He will teach you about it. He also gives the, great, he also gives the Christian great hope for the future. We just looked at that in verse 18 and 19. But what is the hope of our calling? What are the riches of our inheritance? What are the immeasurable greatness? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us? He gives the Christian great future encouragement. So we should be encouraged about that. He's our comforter. And then lastly, he gives the Christian past encouragement. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. The Comforter wants to encourage you, Christian, about your past. Look at verse 2. I'm sorry, look at verse 1 of chapter 2. You were. Notice the word were there. You were. That's your past. This is not a concept towards the non-Christian. They are dead in their sin. But chapter 2, verse 1, you were. Your past is something that is gone. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But now you're alive in Christ, verse 5. You're alive now. You're alive in him. And you possess all the resources that you need to be successful. He has assured us that. He has given us confidence of that. And I understand, Christian, I understand as well as you do. We can sound like Paul in Romans chapter 7. Why do I do the very thing I don't want to do? And that's exactly for this lesson so we understand the resources that are available and the practice that we should have. We have a Christian practice. That's what we're about. So we notice here as we consider our resources, the great spirit of God, he is the Christian's resource. He is the teacher He's the illuminator. He is the great comfort. 
Okay. So I'm going to pause there for a second as we transition now and talk about as we talk about the security of the believers. We went from our resource of the comforter or the resources of the spirit, and now we're going to talk about the resource of the Christian security. So let me just pause. Any questions? Any thoughts? Any comments? Are you used to are you used to hearing about your resources? Are, maybe a better way to ask it, are you used to thinking about it? Are you used to thinking about the resources that you possess? Isn't that amazing, just like laws? We possess these things. Sometimes we just forget to discover them. And we forget to just keep reflecting on them. Christian. Uh, well, uh, thanks for sharing about all these things. I think uh, when, when Joni and I at home were just going through the passages here, one of the questions that we had was, um, you know, wasn't the Bible one of our resource, you know, that, that um, that Christ has given us to to live as Christians. That's right. And I think today's uh, message about the Spirit being the illuminator, you know, the Bible alone without the illuminator is nothing. That's why uh, non-Christians, the Bible is foolish to them. But for us, we have the the, the resource, which is the Spirit, to illuminate us, to open our mind, to give us that uh, that wisdom to understand uh, the things that are mysterious, right? So I think uh, hol the Holy Spirit is ultimately our resource to enable us to use the Word of God. Yeah, so. Christian making a great point. And let me make this connection about how the teacher knows the mind of God, and that's why he's the wise. He's the only one that knows the mind of God. That's why he's the wise. That's why he's the revealer of the mind of God. And Christian making a great point. The, re the revelation that he's giving us is the divine word of God. And that's why it's so important to only, to only understand that these 66 books of the Bible is what he's revealed. And so we have to read these 66 books of the Bible and get them in us, get them in our thinking, get them in our, get them in our possessions, get them in our thoughts, our understandings, and he makes those things clear to us. So good, good, good question, good point. Well, good. I know I can be a little intense. I can. I, I, uh, I've worked hard at, at studying through this, and I. It's kind of like I'm ready to deposit it. But I also want to just take the time. If you have a question or comment, feel free. Um, so I'm going to move on. But feel free. Raise your hand. I don't. It's not an interruption at all. If you have a question or thought. Um, so. One of the great resources is we have the Spirit of God. An additional resource from this passage is we have the security of believers. Look at verse 18. The security of the believers is that these resources, they're current and they're eternal. 
the resources that we have that are going to be pointed out in these verses, they are current. They're things that we have access to today, and they're also eternal benefits. And the first thing that he's pointing out in verse 18, in terms of security, in, cer- in terms of benefits for the believers, we have a security. I mean, let me just pause for one second and point this out. We have a security. We have assets. We have resources. We have these things that are never going to leave us. These securities, these benefits that are never, ever going to leave us. We have been benefited in this way. It's important for us to understand this. I mean, how great it is for us to be going through life and as life beats us up or we beat ourselves up or we get beat up, all the difficulties and the suffering that we go through to know that there's a security. That is astonishing, to know that we have a security in Christ. That is what Paul is pointing out here when he says we have an eternal calling, that you may know what is the hope. That is what it produces. This calling that you have, this secure calling that you have, it will produce a hope, a confidence. That's what the hope is, an assurance that you may know what the hope to which you have been called. So the biblical Let me just give you some biblical thoughts here about what Paul's talking about when he's in verse 18, when he's talking about a biblical calling. You know, I remember as a as a young man, I remember um, getting a phone call from a friend's father and um, I didn't grow up with a dad and it was an interesting phone call. All of my friends were going to this baseball camp. I was 10 years old and they were all going to this pristine baseball camp for the week and they were all talking about it and they were all so excited about it and I was definitely in the group here but uh, my family didn't have the resources to send me and I remember um, I remember one day being dropped off by this father and it was Father's Day and as I was leaving I said to him happy Father's Day and the very next day I got a phone call from him and he said you're going to camp you're going to go to baseball camp. I was able to go to baseball camp. It was at a college. All the college players, all the professional players were there. That call was life-changing for me at that time, at 10 years old. I mean, I know it sounds a little shallow, but I'm just telling you, if you were in my skin at that time, to get that phone call from a dad, it was amazing. I just couldn't, it was just amazing to me. And um, I enjoyed every single minute of that. Our divine calling, how much more precious it is for the believer. We have a divine calling from our Father. A divine calling is an invitation to come and embrace the salvation that he's offering. That's what a divine calling is. That's what the divine calling is. Let me give you a few thoughts here, just biblical, some biblical thoughts here that are going to help you to cement in your brain. What is this calling that Paul's talking about? It's a calling given by God. That's what it is. It's God's calling. Remember at nighttime, and and we grew up in a great generation because the streetlights, once they would pop on, you would hear somebody's voice come from your home. Get in here. And you would would know that voice and that calling. I mean, James laughing because that's how it was. 
Some of you remember that kind of calling, but you remember that connection of your parents' voice to you, and you knew, I better get myself in there, because <laughs> you knew the consequences if you didn't. This is the kind of calling that God the Father is giving you. It's not a calling you'll turn down, by the way. It's not a calling you'll turn down. It's a calling given by God. You hear his voice, and you hear it. It's an irrevocable, it's an irrevocable calling. Romans chapter 11, verses 29. We're going to get there as we're studying through the book of Romans, but Romans chapter 11. In fact, if you look at Romans chapter 9 to 11, it's all about the great subject of election. In fact, Paul introduces it. I'm making election really clear. That's, what Paul, that's how Paul introduces chapter 11 or chapter 9 to chapter 11. But in verse 29, Paul is saying that this calling that you have, Christian, is irrevocable, irrevocable. We do trusts for people in the business that I'm in, and they're called revocable. Meaning, people put down on paper where they want their estates to go to, but they can revoke those things. They can revoke them and make changes to them. This is something that's called an irrevocable calling. Your calling is irrevocable. If you've been called by God, you hear his voice, you come to scripture, you come to the spirit of God, you hear his voice, and it is an irrevocable calling that makes us secure in Christ. Let me just give you another thought. It's a calling that produces unity. Do you know, you know, it's great when we talk about sports. We talk about baseball, we talk about football, and we love our teams. And it's like, it brings this unity. I remember not too long ago at a, at a Christmas party, and I remember it was all, all the people that were there, predominantly the people that were there, were all from the same little town, Castor Valley in the Bay Area. All these families, I didn't even know a lot of the families that were there, but because we had Castor Valley in common, it was amazing. I mean, we, I just left there just going, this is great. And we talked and reminisced about all these things we have in common. I'm just telling you, Christian, when we get together and talk about the hope of the calling that we have together, it unifies us. There is a unity that is together. I want to encourage you to deeply understand your calling. And when we come together, let's talk about it and be unified in it. In fact, this is what he's talking about in Ephesians 4.4 that we would understand this calling that produces this unity in Christ that cannot be broken for eternity. Let me give you a couple other concepts to think about. A calling that produces confidence. Do you notice it says the hope of our calling? This, this calling, it produces confidence and assurance. That's exactly what hope means. I mean, when you look at Hebrews chapter 11, you're gonna notice that's the hope chapter. That's, that's the, the faith chapter. And it says it's impossible to please God without faith. But I'm just telling you, faith and hope are connected. And what faith gives you is this great hope. Hope is something that, that in it is confidence and assurance. We hope for something. We're assured of it. We ought to be the most hopeful and the most assured people in the world. I have non-Christians around me sometimes, and they call it, they think they point to arrogance. And inside me, I think to myself, I'm not giving this up. I'm not yielding to their bentness at all. When they look at me and they go, oh, you're just so arrogant. They are misrepresenting and misunderstanding and actually trying to pervert because they sometimes try to attack me to limit this confidence and this assurance. I'm not going that way. I'm standing completely on the assurance and the hope that I have in Christ. I'm not yielding one bit 
to that. That's the spiritual warfare. And I'm telling you, Christian, when you get this hope and this calling and understand it clearly, it will develop a confidence. Not so you can use this confidence and and assurance, but I'm telling you, God will use this and people will misunderstand it and so be it. But it is a confidence and it is an assurance that you have all eternity taken care of for you. So you can know that it produces confidence and assurance. This calling, this is a calling that should be respected. When you look at chapter 4, verse 1, we have been given these resources and this calling so we can walk worthy. And I want you to hear that. In fact, in chapter 1, in chapter 17, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 1, verse 17, chapter 5, verse 2, verse 1 and 2, verse 7, and there are several other verses there that you will see where to walk worthy. That's what I'm pointing out, that a calling should be respected. We should respect it. We should not take it for granted. This calling that we have should be respected. And we should learn to enhance this calling and develop this calling and to understand this calling. Let me give you a couple other thoughts. A calling that should be considered carefully and measured. You know, some of us here tonight, I'm not under any illusions. I'm not naive. There are some of us here that are trying to figure this out. There's some of us here that are trying to figure out this calling. Do I have it? Don't I have it? Do I have it? Don't I have it? We are called by Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, it says, examine your faith. I mean, in other words, it's saying, examine your calling. Are you called? Have you been called? Are you engaged in your calling? Maybe that's, in fact, if you read 2 Peter chapter 1, you're going to notice here that we are partakers of his divine nature. Also, we're then told, because of that, to practice, and we're told to add virtue to our lives, to add and practice patience and all of these things to our lives. And then it says, if some of us don't do this, we actually have this sense that we fail. And so maybe you're not experiencing the calling today, maybe because you're not called. Maybe you haven't been called. And this morning, God is saying, wake up. I'm calling you this morning, come to Christ. Maybe you're just distracted and distracting yourself from this calling, but it should be measured. A calling to remain, that's what this calling is. We have a responsibility to remain in this calling. Another biblical concept is a calling to be understood. And it cannot be understood without the Spirit of God. This calling cannot be understood without the Spirit of God. It cannot be understood Christian's point's well taken without the word of God. So, we have a great calling. Secondly, we have an eternal inheritance. I mean, I want us to see the the security of the believers where we have a great great calling, and then secondly, we have an inheritance. You know, it's interesting when you think about an inheritance, it's talking about property, assets, wealth, that you may know what are the riches, look at verse 18, that you may know, Paul's saying, I want you to deeply know what are the riches of his, of the glory, of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And so he wants the Christian to know what inheritance you have. We have something presently and something in the future. Now, I know immediately we start to think about wealth. You know what the Waltons, when Sam Walton died, he's the founder of Walmart. 
Walmart, by the way, right now is worth something like $270 billion. I believe I read uh, in 1992 when Mr. Walton died, you know, the figures are kind of jumbled in my, my thought right now, but, it, but I, do know, I do know at some point the Walton children, they received each 33, two of them received, two of them received $33 billion and the other one received 30, $34 billion, which tells me in the, in, in the estate at that point there was $100 billion left to him. That's a lot. The spiritual inheritance that the believer has in Christ has no, has, has no pale on that. Has, there's no comparison to that. And if you're in Christ tonight or today, if you're in Christ, you understand that. It is a spiritual inheritance. It's spiritual in nature. And we need to understand this. Here's some biblical concepts that will help you to understand the Christian inheritance. Proverbs 13 33, it says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children. Let me just tell you, Jesus Christ is the good man. And Jesus Christ has left us an inheritance to count on. Here's another concept to understand about the inheritance. It's what every Christian should anticipate. When you look at 2 Peter chapter 3, we talked about this a number of months ago. 2 Peter chapter 3, Christ is coming back and he's going to peel away all this physical and what's going to be peeled away, Christian, is this. Our sin. Our sin and our guilt. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, although the mockers are present, 2 Peter chapter 3 tells us when God peels it all back and burns it with fire, what's going to be left is our lives for all eternity, experiencing this inheritance of the kingdom. And here's what we're going to experience, day one. Listen to this. 2 Peter chapter 3, day one. A complete dwelling of righteousness your sin will not bother you if I were in the charismatic movement I would say hallelujah <laughs> I mean, think about it our sin and our guilt no more isn't sin and guilt just a bummer the inheritance that Christ has promised, the inheritance that God is providing for us, the inheritance, the inheritance that the Spirit of God is going to illuminate to you is that kind of an inheritance that you can know on day one you are dwelling in righteousness with your Savior. And number two, at the very end of chapter three of Second Peter, you're fully going to know it. <laughs> you're fully going to know it. Not just partially know it, blown away by knowing it. Man, I hope you can experience this today. I hope you can experience this today. What great and tremendous resources that we have to know that the, the doors will be blown wide open and who cares about these peddly little things that are left. Do you know inheritances? In fact, one of these guru guys that does all the TV shows, Aaron, I think it's spelling and I, I forget, Aaron something, but he, he had to limit the inheritance for his children because he knew that they would just blow through it. Isn't that amazing? So he had to manipulate this inheritance for his kids because he knew the lacking nature of the kids that they would just blow through all the inheritance. Let me just tell you, Christian, there's no possible way you can blow through this inheritance of what is in store for you for all eternity. A righteousness that is completely yours and a complete knowledge of Christ and his righteousness and your righteousness in itself. 
worshiping with God. How amazing. Amen. Amen. So, when we think about our inheritance, we can think about something to anticipate, something to anticipate. This security that I have, this, this calling, this inheritance, it's something to anticipate. I have the calling presently, and I'm anticipating, the, I'm anticipating, I'm anticipating the inheritance. It's a legacy. It's your wealth. It's your wealth and your legacy. It's a good man that leaves an inheritance to his children. We have a good man, and he has left us this inheritance. It's yours. Live like that. Not in a perverted way. I mean, we see the prodigal son where he comes to his father and says, give it to me. And the father, in all humility, says, go ahead. What a wretched son. We're not like that son. We're like the son that has been given all possessions. And in humility, we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. It's our legacy. It's an imperishable 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, an, an, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, it's unfading. Imperishable. I remember one time my uncle came. I grew up with a single mom. This is my mom's brother. On an occasion, he would come check in on us. My mom worked in a factory. I'm in high school at the time. Our refrigerator was gross as gross could be. Our refrigerator was like a Petri dish. Scientists would love our refrigerator. Scientists would love to come and open up our refrigerator and see the Petri dish stuff there. I mean, I am not exaggerating in one little bit. I'm really not. And it's amazing because imperishable, and I'm reflecting on the refrigerator thing because there were so many things there that perished. <laughs> and we have an inheritance that is imperishable. It's eternal. It's undefiled. It cannot be stained. It cannot be altered. It cannot be redesigned. It is in place already for us, and it's unfading. It's brilliant, and it's unfading out there. You just don't see it, and you need to work hard at seeing it. What you want right now is going to fade what we should want is this inheritance that we've been guaranteed, kept in heaven for us. That's what 1 Peter 1.4 says. It's eternal and forever. It's glorious. And it's worthy of his praise. These are concepts that will help you to understand his eternal inheritance. It's glorious. It's glorious. That means that it's worthy of God's praise. You know, we should be like that. Praise you, Lord. I get that inheritance. I mean, we've We've been a part in this last year of our dear brothers, um, people dying. And for those who have hoped in Christ, we are just so thrilled for them that they are experiencing this glory to the praise of God, this inheritance. This inheritance that we have is really a kingdom that we all should want to be a part of. Here's a couple other concepts as we kind of finish this. Spiritual in nature, the inheritance that we have is made secure by Christ. The inheritance that we have is given to every Christian. The inheritance that we have is not something you can earn. It is not something you can earn. Galatians chapter 3, verse 18, here's what it says. It 
if the inheritance, if it came by the law, it's no longer coming by the promise. If it came by the law, then it no longer comes by a promise. You cannot earn it. You can't keep anything good enough to get this inheritance. It is given to us from God, given personally to us for us to enjoy. It is brought to light by the Spirit of God. This is the pledge that we have from our great God and our great King. Well, for time's sake, I'm going to just ask, um, if you have a comment, feel free. Um, we're going to... Uh, we're going to pick it back up with the eternal power and then finish next week also with just looking at the resource that we have, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This is a glorious passage. I, I hope that you're sensing we're climbing to Mount Everest together. I, I'm, I'm hoping the Spirit of God, I'm hoping that he's bringing these things to your light or he's bringing to, he's bringing to light these things for your edification. So... Any last comments? Yes, Esty. Well, uh, I came across uh, this um, article, and uh, what does the Bible say about the riches of God? Paul declares that our experience of salvation is explicitly rooted in God's infinite riches when he writes, but God being rich in mercy, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the, eter in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness. And the spiritual riches are good things which God has given us through Christ, which either affect who we are or how we live. There are spiritual riches pertaining to who we are, our identity, and these are spiritual riches pertaining to how we live, things which God gives us to obey him in this life. Amen. Thank you, Esty. That was beautiful. I was walking out there because the speakers are that way, and I, I wanted to make sure I was hearing. And thank you, Esty. What an encouragement. And it's with that, I think I'm going to wind us down. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll have a little time to fellowship together as our service starts. Be praying for Craig. He's preaching this morning. Lord, we're grateful as your body that you give us the great teacher, the Spirit of God, and you give the believers great security where you allow us to understand our great calling and our great inheritance. We look forward to understanding the power that works towards us and to hear about the resource of Jesus Christ, who is our great resource himself. Please exalt yourself and edify your body, Lord. We thank you.